Welcome to the Nightly Five podcast with Ben O'Shea. Welcome to the Nightly Five. On today's show, a dramatic twist in the double murder case against New South Wales cop Bo Lamar Condon as police find human remains. Taylor Swift's dad is being investigated for assaulting a paparazzi in Sydney. Scott Morrison gave his valedictory speech in Parliament. But where would you put ScoMo on your PM rankings? Katina Curtis will join me with her answer. And talking about exits, Aussie cricketer Steve Smith gave the clearest indication yet that he's getting closer to calling stumps on his career. We'll dig into that. And good news for Australian wineries out of Beijing. But first, let's circle back to the biggest story in Australia today. New South Wales police discovered human remains at a property in Bungonia, about 180 k's south of Sydney, during the search for the bodies of slain eastern suburbs couple Jesse Baird and Luke Davies. My message to the community is to pass on our condolences and know that the investigators behind me and we as an organisation are doing everything to make sure that the best case is put forward before the court and we'll let the court process play out and after that we begin the healing process in that community. That's New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb at today's press conference and joining me now with the latest news is nightly reporter Remy Varga. Remy, welcome back to the show. Hi Ben. Okay, so you were at the conference today. What was the mood like? Uh, The mood was sombre. A lot of the journalists in the room actually um, knew Jessie Baird um, from media circles in Sydney. Um, There was also a a sense of, I I would describe as grim relief, that they'd found the bodies and that they could give the families, um, you know, that that certainty, as devastating as it must have been, delivering that news, they could at least tell them that they'd found where Luke and Jesse were. Yeah, I think grim relief is the perfect way to describe uh, the look on the police face today at the press conference. Let's take a listen to one of the officers that had been working the case around the clock. I am exhausted. Um, I barely eat nor sleep. Um, We went home last night extremely deflated, um, but it's not in our nature to give up. Now, Remy, can you tell us exactly where and how New South Wales Police found the bodies? Bolamar Condon told investigators where the bodies were after he obtained legal counsel. Um, investigators visited him this morning at Silverwater Prison. They then went back to the, a property in Bungonia where they had been searching on Monday um, and found the bodies about a 20 minutes away from the original search site. The bodies were found in surfboard bags that were used to transport the bodies of Baird and Davies from their home in Paddington in the back of a white Toyota van um, before they were taken to the property. Uh, The police today at the press have said that the surfboard bags had been found covered in debris. Mm. You can't even imagine what the parents and family and friends of these victims must be going through. Uh, The police commissioner spoke a little bit to that and said that she'd spoken to the families. Let's take a listen to what Karen Webb had to say. Very relieved because of the families. I've spoken to both families. They've arrived from interstate. They've been waiting for news. Um, and each day, each hour was you know, an agonising wait. So I'm relieved for the families. 
Now, Remy, the New South Wales Police have been under fire for their handling of this case, especially Commissioner Karen Webb, for her response rates in fronting the public initially and then some of the language she's used. How did she respond to those criticisms today at the press conference? So Commissioner Webb essentially apologised for using the phrase uh, crime of passion um, and, you know, said, you know, what she meant more was that it was a matter of domestic violence. But her main point was that it wasn't a hate crime. And so what she was trying to say there is that Lamar Condon didn't allegedly kill um, Bed and Davies because they were gay. Mm. Yeah, which I think is probably a a more accurate, appropriate way to describe the alleged crime. Uh, And now there's been a lot of talk about what will happen with Mardi Gras, which is just around the corner in Sydney, where the police will be allowed to take part. That came up at the press conference today. What did Karen Webb have to say? So it's still to be determined what, if any, police involvement will be had at this year's Mardi Gras parade. Um, So last night, the Mardi Gras board issued a statement saying they had withdrawn their invitation to police to march in the parade. Um, This Karen Webb said that this morning she'd met with members of the board and was talking to them about, you know, what, if anything, police officers will do, whether they'll march or whether they'll march in black, um, you know, and then she said there's still a few days to work out what is actually going to happen on Saturday. Yeah, uh, and we know that this story will continue to unfold throughout the week and in the weeks to come as it goes before the courts. Reporter at The Nightly, Remy Varga, thanks for joining us on The Nightly Five and giving us this update. Thanks, Ben. It is true that my political opponents have often made me see red. (laughs) often when subjected to the tortured poets who would rise to attack my reputation. In response, I always thought it important to be fearless and speak now, or forever hold my silence and allow those attacks to become folklore. Ever since leaving university in 1989, (laughs) this has always been my approach My great consolation has always been my lover, (laughs) Jen, who has always been there for me whenever I need her from dawn and beyond the many midnights we have shared together. See, I'm actually a true new romantic, after all. And I can assure you there is no bad blood, as I've always been someone who's been able to shake it off. Scott Morrison, the 30th Prime Minister of Australia, gave his final speech in Parliament today as an opposition backbencher. And yes, that's him working every Taylor Swift album name into it. Vintage ScoMo cringe, perhaps, but it was also a chance for him to revisit his achievements in politics and for other pollies to pay their respects. But how are we to remember Morrison as ScoMo, the knockabout Aussie with a deep love for the Cronulla Sharks, or as Scotty from Marketing, the divisive figure who got his policy positions from his wife, Jenny. Here to help us figure that out is Federal Politics Editor at The Nightly, Katina Curtis. Katina, thanks for joining us. Lovely to be here, Ben. And so we heard a little of what ScoMo said in his speech today. What were your main takeaways? 
I actually thought um, we didn't really see either ScoMo from Cronulla or Scotty from Marketing um, in the speech today. I think maybe we saw the real Scott Morrison. Um, it was actually remarkable uh, the way he um, was very overt about his faith in his speech. I think we've all known um, you know, that he is a man who has very strong Christian faith, um, Australia's first Pentecostal Prime Minister, um, but he actually he, he, he never really talked about it that much, particularly when he was Prime Minister, um, and whereas today's speech, by contrast, was liberally littered with references throughout to um, to his faith and the way that he's guided him and shaped the way that he thinks about things. So that was really quite different um, from what we've seen from him in the past. Uh, the the uh, series of Taylor Swift references was um, a, a moment of levity in the middle of it. He said that his daughters who were there in the chamber with his wife, Jenny, um, to hear him speak had challenged him to say he couldn't couldn't possibly squeeze all those references into a serious final speech to Parliament. Well, he proved them wrong, as it turns out. And so what did a PM Anthony Albanese and opposition leader Peter Dutton say in response to ScoMo's speech? Well, the Prime Minister gave uh, actually a very gracious and measured speech. Um, I think he's made no secret of the fact that he hasn't particularly got on with Scott Morrison in the past. Um, but he said, you know, that Morrison had shown great respect of the Parliament and and the institutions um, by by leaving in this way and um, you know making this speech today. And he also said that he, he was in no doubt that um, neither Morrison nor anyone else in Parliament ever had bad intentions. Um, They only ever had good intentions in in what they were trying to do. And It was interesting, Scott Morrison um, really said he didn't want to use his speech to list off his achievements. He rather instead had a very lengthy list of people who he wanted to thank. and but Peter Dutton, it fell to Peter Dutton basically then to to list what he saw as Scott Morrison's achievements over his time in politics, um, as a as a immigration minister and um, treasurer as well as as prime minister. And so what do you think of the big hits and misses of ScoMo's time in politics? Look, I really think um, he has a very mixed legacy. Um, You really see he did did help steer Australia through COVID in a comparatively unscathed, especially when you look to some of the other countries overseas, like what was happening in America and the UK. We really did quite well. Um, But, you know, that particular legacy was is very tarnished, just kind of everything is washed over by the fact that we learned after the election about the secret ministries scandal, um, which, you know, the unprecedented step to take on those five extra portfolios without telling anyone. And I think that's really tainted the way that people look back and um, and, and kind of see his management. The August deal um, is his other big um Big legacy, again, a kind of a mixed reaction there. I mean, there's obviously some very strong critics of the move to get nuclear-powered submarines. It upset the French. So then, you know, there's problems with now sort of foreign relations and standing in the world. But it, it is, you know, defence experts really say it is a very forward-looking plan. Um, some in the current government say, well, like, it's you know, it was a good idea, but that's all that we were left with. It was an idea and Labor's had to really scramble to actually put the detail in and make it happen.
Mm. Yeah, and so I guess now the question is, you know, how do we rank Scott Morrison among other Aussie PMs? Former independent Senator Rex Patrick, who was not the biggest fan of ScoMo, he had that fierce legal stoush with him over cabinet secrecy. So he's probably a little bit biased, but he said that ScoMo was the worst PM since Billy McMahon. (laughs) We won't need to go back that far, but where would you rank him among PMs from, say, the last 30 years? I mean, there's a few people who, who've said that as well. Nikki Sava has also similarly said it. I mean, she was definitely no fan of Scott Morrison at all. Um, look, I think he's he's certainly, he doesn't leave the legacy of John Howard or Hawke or Keating. Um, those three are kind of really held up as the big reformist um, prime ministers and, and Howard obviously was in power for just so long. Um, but I think, you know, he, he probably holds his stead well um, and he really is the is the only Prime Minister in a very long time to have made it to two elections which is, <laughs> you know, it speaks a lot to the tumultuous 15 years we've had in politics. Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens now in his seat of Cook? Uh, so the pre-selection in Cook will be held next week. So then, uh, sorry, that's the Liberal pre-selection. Um, I mean, Morrison had an enormous margin. It has been a safe Liberal seat and he obviously almost all Prime Ministers have a huge margin in their own seats. So there will be a by-election there. My guess would be probably mid-April, but we haven't had the date set for that yet. Um, and and you would probably expect the Liberals to comfortably retain that seat. Yeah, well, rightly or wrongly, they won't find anyone quite like Scott Morrison, I think it's fair to say. Katina Curtis, Federal Politics Editor at The Nightly, thanks as always for being on the show. Good to talk. Oh, that's... Yeah. oh. It's a little edge. I thought he might have played and missed. That was the reaction from Smith. But that's a beauty from Milne. That's the sound of Steve Smith being dismissed for just four against New Zealand at Eden Park on Sunday. Australia might have swept the Kiwis in that series, but the news was not so good for the former skipper, who couldn't get much going with the bat in what was a final audition for the T20 World Cup. But now, without an IPL contract and facing an uphill battle to make his fourth World Cup in this format, is it the end for Smith in T20? Let's ask Nightly Sports Editor Ben McClellan. Ben, what are the chances Smith will miss out on the World Cup in June in the US and the Caribbean? Uh, I'd say they're pretty high. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's basically admitted as much. Uh, the T20 squad is looking pretty strong at the moment. Obviously, Warner's still about. It's going to be his swan song. So I'd say on his uh, recent form, there's probably very little chance that he's going to push back into the side given there won't really be any opportunities for him to showcase that. Like you said, he doesn't have an IPL contract, which is a, which is a pretty big sign uh, that there isn't a lot of faith in his T20 abilities um, in the biggest cauldron of, um, of T20 cricket. Though he does have the uh, Test Series uh, coming up in New Zealand in this week. And he said he just uh, wants to focus on that. When he was asked about it today in Wellington, he made uh, some fairly frank admissions where he basically said that he wasn't too fussed. Um, It was essentially up to the selectors whether they uh, picked him for the World Cup squad. Um, And he said, if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, I'm not. So um, some sort of sanguine admission um, from from Smitty. Um, He sure sounded like a man who was pretty resigned to his fate. Yes. And so now he's, what, he's about 35 years old. It feels like he's been around forever because, you know, he was was up and about very young Mm. um, in the national team uh, in all formats of the game. Um, But is this a clear sign that we're witnessing the final chapter of this career? 
I think so. I mean, obviously, he's going to try and reinvent himself as a test opener. He's got a very good chance against the Kiwis, who the Australians team have the wood on. Um, and, and then I guess it, it, it's can he get himself uh, an established spot in the in the one day team? I guess that's probably unlikely as well. Um, he was, you know, quite an explosive batsman when he first came onto the scene. I mean, people may not remember he actually came onto the Australian scene um, as a spin bowler who became a batsman, and then obviously he's become. Uh, one of our one of our greatest batsmen. I mean, it's interesting. Um, Usman Khawaja came to his defence. I mean, they're going to open the batting uh, together on Thursday. Um, he said he's one of the greatest Test uh, batsmen of our generation. So I think he's still got a lot a lot to give. Um, he did, you know, he did fare pretty pretty well in the West Indies series. He didn't set the world on fire, but obviously, when you look at his stats, they stack up pretty well um, against most most batsmen across the world and and most batsmen. Um, in in the Australian side, so yeah, I mean, you never know. He could come back, have a have an awesome big bash summer next year, and then he might find his way back in. But but I think I think that's pretty unlikely to happen. Um, and, and as we've already spoken about, there's obviously uh, Short who's coming in from the domestic competition. He's very good. Warner obviously wants to have his what feels like his twentieth swan song <laughs> competition. I mean, when is David Warner actually going to retire? It's the it's it's the John Farnham to us. Exactly. So it keeps coming back. It keeps coming one back. Last time. Well, it's interesting when he took over as skipper, uh, Steve Smith. Mm. You know, he had that incredible run of form. Yes. Um, and you know, it was it was almost Bradman esque when yes. you're talking about his his batting average. And then, you know, like his his tenure in the top job in Australian cricket, tainted yes. a little bit over Sandpaper well, massively Gate. Tainted. Uh, massively tainted over that issue, uh, and which really hangs over this entire generation that he's yep. a part of. We're seeing Warner right off into the sunset very slowly. Mm. Um, it's inevitable Smith will soon. Mm. Um, uh, how will you look back on his contribution to Australian cricket? Oh, I think he's still one of, like like Kawaja said, he's, he's one of the greatest batsmen of his generation. He'll probably go down as one of the, the great 10 or 20 Australian batsman. Obviously, there's been some you know formidable innings. He's saved Australia numerous times. You know, it's going to be hard for him to to escape uh, Sandpaper Gate in terms of his legacy. Um, but also, I mean, obviously, the cricketers now have you know these three forms that they play in. You know, the one day fifty over cricket, which you know when you and I were much younger, uh, was obviously the darling of sort of cricket entertainment in the 1990s and, and early thousands. But now it's very much about Test cricket and T20 cricket. So it's very hard. For for players to be both good of those disciplines because they're very different disciplines. Though, as we are seeing with the English baseball, which fell in a heap in India, there are some teams which are trying to take the T20 mentality and apply that to test cricket. So... Um, so I think, you know, he, he's got the ability to, to slog. I mean, that ability probably isn't as strong as it used to be, but he's also very patient, uh, generally pretty good with his, with his shot selection. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, let's just hope uh, that he can, he can bat well. We've got a pretty big test year coming up. Uh, playing India at home at the end of the year, so hopefully he can fine tune his craft as an opener, because um, that will be one hell of a test series. Yeah, absolutely, and it could even be one where he, you know, pulls the pin after that if Australia gets up and he gets amongst the runs. Mm. Everyone loves a fairy tale finish. Mm. Sports editor at the Nightly, Ben McClellan. Thanks as always for being on the show. Thank you very much. Oh, oh, really? Okay. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. 
That's Papa Swift, a.k.a. Scott Swift, a.k.a. Taylor Swift's dad, getting into it with paparazzi Ben McDonald at a ferry wharf in Sydney's Neutral Bay at about 2.30am on Tuesday. Police are now investigating the alleged incident, which happened when T-Swizzle and her father had been out partying to celebrate her final Australian show. It's been alleged the 71-year-old Scott Swift struck McDonald on the left side of his face. McDonald alleges Papa Swift and his superstar daughter exited a luxury super yacht at the wharf after spending the night in Homebush, and when he saw the photographer, Mr Swift charged at the 51-year-old snapper. The photographer went to the Rocks police station to make a report. Well, it's one o'clock somewhere, right? Well, that somewhere could be Beijing pretty soon because Chinese sanctions on Australian wine worth $1 billion could be removed by the end of March. That's the news out of Abu Dhabi, where Federal Trade Minister Don Farrell has met with his Chinese counterpart on the sidelines of the World Trade Organization's ministerial conference. For those who came in late, China slapped sanctions worth $20 billion on Australian products during the height of diplomatic tensions in 2020 in response to ScoMo called calling for an independent inquiry into the COVID-19 pandemic. Some have already been lifted, like the ones on barley exports to China, but sanctions worth $2 billion still remain on wine, rock lobster and some abattoirs. Beijing is currently reviewing the trade ban on wine under a five-month process after Canberra agreed to suspend a dispute lodged with the WTO until March 31. So this latest development is a good sign for Aussie wine producers. And that, folks, is today's show. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Nightly Five podcast is brought to you by Seven West Media. For all these stories and more, head to thenightly.com.au, helping you get in front of tomorrow. Tomorrow.